It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show, guys. Uh, this is Brian Preston, your host, with my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen, staring across from me. And what I think is interesting is, let me first give you the, the call signs and websites. It's money-guy.com, or you can write the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, or B-O at money-guy.com, <laughs> if you want to contact Bo. But this show, I kind of wanted to start it off with something fun, Bo. What I wanted to do was talk about New Year's resolution updates. Okay. Because we all, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of the month. Mm-hmm. You know, this is usually the time that it kind of starts to fizzle, yeah, let's it, be honest. If your New Year's, New Year's resolution was to go to the gym, if you're still going to the gym, you probably noticed the 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock classes are starting to thin out a little bit from they, what they looked like in the first week of January. I want to tell you what my New Year's resolution was, was to start exercising again. You know, I, I worked out with Bo for a number of years. That's one of the reasons I hired him, I think. You know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of overlooked all of his faults because I realized this was somebody that was I could bring in to kind of be my quasi-personal trainer and overlooked everything else. But as soon as I had my second child, all working out stopped. My eating habits didn't change. I still ate anything and everything I could find, but... I've, I've kind of getting to that age where I felt like I need to start doing something because the road's starting to fork where I can either, because, you know, I'm getting to the, the age where weight's just not going to stay off because I have a high me- metabolism. Right. It, it's getting to the point where I can either go the path of continuing to eat what I want but start to become a 250-pound man, or I can start to exercise and try to, you know, make the Grim Reaper wonder why I haven't shown up yet. So I've decided to go the path of trying to exercise. So I I was planning on, the goal originally was I was going to ease into things. I was going to, you know, go to the gym, do the elliptical, watch TV. And that's even the way that you pitched it to me. You told me what your your end goal was, and you said to get – to this point, I'm going to start going to the gym a little bit, kind of easing back into it, sort of, you know, put put my floaties on. Put put my toe in and That's then kind it. of go right into the shallow end before I dove in. Well, I got with some friends who've been peer pressuring me for probably the last six months, and they got me in a moment of weakness where I signed up for CrossFit. And, and in my mind, instead of putting that toe in and just kind of easing into the shallow end, you pretty much did a full Nelson into the deepest part of the pool. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not one of the T-shirt wearing CrossFit people. I'll go ahead and tell you, don't, don't expect me to go buy the, the T-shirt and see me out wearing it because I'm just not super, super gung-ho, but it's pretty cool. I, like, I'm, I think I'm ADHD because my attention span is very short, but I like how they mix things up. And I couldn't have started this a, a moment sooner because I was out with my family this weekend. We went out for breakfast. At, um, you know, the, the internationally known IHOP that we have right outside of our neighborhood. And after we got through eating, my wife goes, you know, over there at the outlet mall, Brooks Brothers having a big sale, honey. Why don't we go over there and, and check out and see if there's something you can pick out? So we pulled in the parking lot, and I, I said, you know, we got the kids. You know how I am. I'm a commando shopper. I'm looking for one thing. I'm looking for long sleeve polo shirts. Why don't I see if I can just run in there? And if they don't have it, I don't, y'all don't have to, we don't have to get all the kids out of the car. You just stay in. So I just barreled in there all by myself where there was a sales associate working there, probably between 20 to 23 years of age. And as soon as I walk in, she looks at me and, and she, you know, and she goes, are you by chance a skydiver? Oh, wow. So this sounds like 
where is this going to go? I mean, because you think about it, you walk in and a it's young a pretty, girl asks you that, you're like, wow, it must be, is it, is it the shoes? Because I, cool I got my cool guy Sanooks on, you know, so I did, was looking pretty laid back. I had my khaki slacks. I had my life is good, t- you know, t-shirt on that has the stick figures. So I'm like, maybe it's because of this hip outfit I'm wearing. And, you know, she's thinking I look like I'm 23 right. versus the 40-ish. And then here came the line. I go, no, I'm, I'm not crazy enough to do something like that, like skydiving. And I go, why do you ask? And she goes, you look just like one of my best friend's fathers. Kaboom. <laughs> How old does that make you feel when, when somebody who's in their 20s... Thinks you look old enough to be her dad, essentially. So I obviously started CrossFit not a moment too late. I mean, I need to, you know, it, it is the perfect time to be doing it because if you're getting asked questions like that, maybe it was the belly. I don't know what was giving it off, but the the cool guy's shoes obviously weren't carrying as much weight as I thought they were. So that's kind of my New Year's update. I, I know you guys have heard the story and I got a good cackle at my expense, um, but that's probably a great transition point because I'm always looking for to, to make fun of Bo as much as possible. And today's show is going to be off of a listener's email. And, and, the, and the email had a moment where I can pick on Bo a little bit, but it actually is a great question. And what the listener didn't realize when he wrote the email is, is that his, his question about an article that he saw has obviously got some financial advisors concerned because even my own partner, you remember I have a partner in Augusta, Georgia, by the name of Bill Cleveland, super sharp guy. I'm the um, loud one. He's the smart one, as I always tell everybody. Bill sent me this exact same article back on December 21st, and I got this email from the listener on January 9th. And this is the way the email started out, and this is from Rich. Rich wrote, hello, thank you for your enjoyable and informative podcast. It must be talking, he must just listen to one of your solo ventures, Bo. That's got to be what it is. Because there was a recent Business Week article, article titled, The Web Versus Your Financial Advisor. What are your thoughts on this article and these tools? I know this is a quasi-competitor, but I'm considering as an option because my assets and income would likely not interest an advisor. And he put in parentheses, below your $750,000 mentioned in your most recent podcast. And just for those that are brand new to the show, we've mentioned in a podcast that our minimums for client relationships was $750,000. Unless you're under 40 and you're a hypersaver, we do have some exceptions for, for those what I consider the hypersavers that are going to be extremely successful and we want to be part of that success while they're young. Um, continuing with the email, it says, I think this would make an excellent podcast topic. So I'm going to take what Rich said and, and turn that into a podcast and kind of go over that article that both Rich as well as my partner Bill brought to my attention. But then the email goes on, and this is the little nugget that I like because it also gives a teaser for something you guys can all expect to hear in the month of June. It says, by the way, my favorite podcast was the episode when Bo... Went over the budget he anticipated with his new bride. Remember, Bo got married back in June of 2012. I had the episode saved on my iPod because it is so entertaining. <laughs> so if you're if you're a premium member, if you've signed up for the, the Money Guy premium side of things, go back to May of 2012, and I don't remember what they, we titled the episode, but one of those episodes in May focused on the fact that Bo was getting married and he had some crazy ideas of what spending was going to be like once he got married. Remember, this is the guy who thought on the plane ride back from his honeymoon was the perfect time to have a discussion on budgeting. Not before, but after (laughs) the honeymoon. So continuing on with the email, it says, when I played this episode for my wife, 
I kind of had the same experience with my wife. Her jaw dropped at least three times. We look forward to the one-year follow-up episode. Keep up the great work, Rich. So, Bo, I'm going to give you a chance to say something in a minute. But it does crack me up is that people probably think this is an act. Right. That you, you're saying this for sheer entertainment factor, but Carol's sitting here doing the show notes, and everybody here in the office will tell you they broke the mold when they made you. <laughs> I mean, you've got, you've got the, the physical attributes. You're a smart guy, but God bless your wife for putting up with you because you, you just different thoughts on how money works. But go ahead, defend yourself before we start today's show. Hey, no defense. I'm, I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger. You got to wait until June or after, our, you know, we're going to have our one year anniversary. I have been tracking it and I've been of watching it very closely. And so I can't wait to share with you guys the incredible education that I've received over the past 12 months. Now, don't spill the beans, but the results are materially different than what you anticipated, aren't they? That would certainly be a way to say it, <laughs> without a doubt. So you think there's some education, educational moments that have occurred on, don't say whose who's side, but one of you has definitely been educated, correct? One of the two of us will be able to, after we do this podcast, start a consulting firm where we talk to newlyweds about the way things actually go. So, And uh, we're going to make all kinds of money letting young people know that this is the way that it really works. That's a great transition point to... Markets and finance from Business Week, but I will tell you guys, I'm looking forward to that June episode too. So tune in. Like I said, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, it is one of my favorite episodes. If you just want to be sheerly entertained, go back to the June of 2012 if you're a premium member and you can go grab that episode. But following up with the the Bloomberg Business Week article that came out, go ahead. Did you have something? Yeah, I was going to say before we even start this, getting back to to what one thing Rich mentioned his email. I think it's interesting. And as you listen to this email, I want you guys. I mean, as you listen to the show, I want you guys to kind of think about and internalize this. Um, Before I started work with Brian, I had some um, some experience in the insurance industry. Brian has worked um, at some other firms. We've kind of seen sort of the different cultures of firms and kind of different ways the financial planning arena uh, is structured, and the whole finance arena for that matter. One thing that I think is interesting is that Richard kind of mentioned in here, hey, I know this is a quasi-competitor. Um, I think Brian would share this, and then, you know, this is something that I've kind of learned since I've been in the industry. It's really not a competition. And when Brian has a mentor who, who has been incredible kind of showing him, you know, she's been doing this for, for a number of years longer than he and kind of taking him under her wing. And then she was the one, I think, who kind of first pretty much showed us that, hey, you can open it up. And, and essentially, if you look at all of the people in this country – there is more. There are more than enough clients to go around that you don't have to be cutthroat in terms of, well, this is the way that I'm doing business. This is the only way to do business, and you should come do business with me because you can't have everyone as a client. Um, so I thought it was interesting. He thought it was a quasi-competitor because I don't. I don't really look at it that way. Do you? Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm probably a unique personality. I've never been a super competitive guy. I think it's because I grew up with my father being a super successful athlete. You know, from. So from just because I realized at an early age I was never going to accomplish all the things he accomplished from an athletic standpoint, I just don't have that hunger of competition that a lot of people have. I'm more of a consensus builder and try to be a leader by by getting people to follow, you know, instead of trying to rub somebody's nose in something. Right. It, to the point, I mean, we have a competitor right across the hall from us. We've probably sent them four clients in the last month and a half. Yep, that's exactly I mean, right. they're going, their home base is going to say, what, what attribute, why, how can you attribute that y'all have had so much growth? 
but we, we had these guys that moved in across the hall that are crazy and send us all this business. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I really am not a, a competitive person in that aspect. But great lead-in, and I think, Bo, what you're alluding to also is that a lot of firms are changing. I think we're a perfect example. There's a brand-new article out there that was going around the financial um, community where I was talking about how we don't have the mahogany when you walk in. We don't have the, the marble all over the place with pictures of bulls and bears on the walls. I mean, those same Sanook shoe, shoes that I was making fun of from this weekend, Bo totally busted on me because it was a Friday. I didn't have any client appointments. So I don't look too different than I did when that poor girl in the Brooks Brothers outlet was asking if I was her, her friend's father. So, um, I mean, I just kind of, I'm a casual guy. It doesn't mean our knowledge is not there. It's just, it's, it's the way our culture is and our lifestyle. And I think it attracts younger, very successful people too. Right. We're, we're not your stuffy wear coat. Heck, I've started a firm. Just so I, all my bad habits of not wearing shoes and being laid back and being disorganized all kind of fits into the to the culture of right, what we're doing. Exactly but right. okay, we've sidebarred for all of 13 minutes, so let's actually get into some meat of things. When I when I talk about this article, this is the Bloomberg Business Week: Markets and Finance, Financial Planners Online versus Brick and Mortar. I just wanted to go through part of this because I thought Sam. It was written by Sam Grobart. And it was published on December 20th of 2012. So this is a little over a month old. Like I said, got a little bit of um, echoing because I even had my own partner send me this article. And then I'm going to read you some comments from a guy who's in his peer group. And I don't know this guy, but I thought that this other advisor named Ben had some really good comments as well. And I also will give you just the teaser so you'll hang in there with me to the end. I'm going to tell you my opinion on this because I think a lot of you are probably, do you think this is a competitor and what are your thoughts on it? So the article starts, it says, my wife and I have been putting off getting a financial planner for at least a year. This was in keeping with our, okay, my habit of delaying efforts on things that had a limited immediate payoff and were generally considered good ones for future. In other words, he was really putting off the, the key concept of financial planning, which is deferred gratification. And if you're going to be successful in investing in financial planning, yeah, you're saving a lot for the future, Versus getting that immediate gratification of maybe buying the fancy car or the big house, even though it might be a little early right. in the process to do those things. But continuing, it says, but after a second child and a new job, for both of us, it seemed time for someone to help us figure out what to do with our money. I once worked at a personal finance magazine, even though I was writing more about how to spend than how to save, so I felt mildly knowledgeable about what people should do with their money. The gospel of financial planning is pretty commonsensical, and I thought I thought these were great points. I, I mean, like, we talked about. Don't you feel like we say that all the we time? We say every one of these all the time. It says, "Spend less than you earn." That's from Millionaire Next Door. Save your retirement before your kids. That you know, college costs. So that kind of sounds like we say that all the time. I think I even said that to somebody on the phone this week. Invest in low cost index funds from Vanguard and the like. By by the way, in a minute, I'm going to tell you why that's normally good, but at some point you need to move away from index investing on certain asset classes. And I'll, I'll give you some details in a minute. And then it says, leave stock picking to gamblers and etc. So my time in personal finance also gave me a solid network of friends and former colleagues who could recommend a planner for my own needs. As it turned out, they all recommended the same one. Armed with this endorsement, my wife and I scheduled an appointment. I should interrupt here is what it says. So that's not Brian interrupting. This is the author. He says, That dutiful, responsible impulse to seek out a planner was present in both of us. But there was something more self... Oh, that's, a, that's a big old... That's like a Harvard word there. Self 
Aggrandizing. And grandizing. They don't teach that at UGA. At work, too. <laughs> Hiring a planner implies that you have finances sufficient to require planning. While what we sought to do was not purely a luxury, it is, after all, a good idea to have a plan for your money. There was a part of all this that was pleasing and affirmative that we had made it. And there is. I think there probably is a sense. It's just like, I, I think I've said this before. My minimum when I started this firm was $75,000. Now it's $750,000. It's amazing. That's, that kind of works out nicely. It's 10 times what it was when right. we started the firm. I have clients that have $120,000 with me that love referring me. They're bosses. Right. Yep. Because I, now that our minimum seven fifty, I think that they, they know when they refer their boss, their boss looks at them and goes, how in the world does George have $750,000? <laughs> so there is a kind of a status yep. or a prestige thing that goes into it. So then it continues on, and it says, we went to visit our financial planner-to-be and were immediately reassured by the Park Avenue address. A well-appointed waiting room with crown molding and framed photos and letters from happy, affluent families. To top it off, the planner was a fee-only shop, which meant it earned no commissions from the financial products it recommended. And then he put in parentheses, this is really the only kind of planner you should ever talk to. I thought that was kind of cool. Like a gave out. a plug. If you want to give a full plug, it's NAPFA. It's N-A-P-F-A dot O-R-G. That's National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Those are the guys. We're a member of that organization, too only does fee-only planning. I mean, there's no commissions. We don't sell insurance or anything else like that. Continuing on, it says, My wife and I had a lengthy conversation with the two owners of the firm and an associate. They asked us roughly 972 questions, which may sound tedious, but was actually delightful. First of all, the questions were all about ourselves, so that's fun. In this way, financial planning is very much like psychotherapy. Second, we felt that every question brought us one step closer to our sustainable, responsible financial future. It was like the financial equivalent of exercise. Okay, that makes that sense. That was a great point. We left the advisor's office excited and relieved. Our money would be properly allocated, our investments guided to the most efficient mutual funds, and our spending kept within bounds. All by sensible, highly educated men and women in really, really nice suits. Kind of takes me away with <laughs> with what I'm wearing today. All we had to do was furnish the firm with our most up to date financial information and fill out a questionnaire together to assess things like our tolerance for risk. Oh, and we had to pay them five thousand dollars. Dum dum That's kind of this is when the article changes a little bit. It says the first two steps we addressed swiftly. I got PDFs of banking statements and the like and emailed them within a couple of days. My wife and I sat down one evening and went through the 30-page questionnaire. Wow. That's a pretty Holy big... cow. Yeah, I don't know how many of our clients are filling out a 30-page questionnaire. No way. Answering questions about what we'd do if we bought a stock and if it cratered six months later. We answered C, do nothing and write it out. And outlining our financial goals for the future, not be broke, was <laughs> with an animated principle. Um it says it was the $500,000 that was a sticking point. 5000 Did I say 500000 Yeah, 500000 That'd be a very expensive financial plan. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's our minimum 10 years from now, um, you know, for on the fee. Um, it was $5,000 that was a sticking point. While my wife and I were making good money, $5,000 is still a considerable chunk of change. I would often think about it this way. If you added together all of our retirement accounts, and I thought this was very telling because this right. is kind of what, when I give you my reading at the end of this article, this is what I'm going to come back to. It says, if you added together all of our retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, etc., we had about $200,000 socked away. 
Now, if the planner is taking $5,000, then the first 2.5% of that money earned would be replaced with what the what we paid the planner. Essentially, that's, you got to make 2.5% to break even. That's exactly that's right. That's the analysis he's doing. It seemed like a fairly big ante, is what, is what the author wrote. Then I read an article about an online financial planning websites like LearnVest, NestWise, and Plan and Act that offer similar services for far less. I could think of 5,000 reasons to look at the alternatives. <laughs> so it goes on. It says, I signed up with NestWise. That's N-E-S-T-Wise, W-I-S-E, which was founded by a Wharton professor for $250. NestWise would match you up to one of its 17 advisors. Your advisor would craft de- a detailed financial plan that you would execute. You would execute. I think that's a key point. Right. All we had to do was furnish the firm with our most up-to-date financial information and fill out a questionnaire to assess things like our tolerance for risk. That sounds vaguely familiar. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? That's what stuck me. Struck me, I should say. Not, not stuck, but struck. In practice, this wasn't terribly different from what Park Avenue was offering. In most cases, in both cases, all my wife and I were seeking was a roadmap for our finances. Save X each month in your 401k, set aside this much to grow your emergency fund, and so on. Whether that was done in an office or a fine with fine leather and rich mahogany or on my laptop while I'm pantsless and eating hot Cheerios was immaterial. So he's just adding a little humor there, I guess. Um, the first step you take with NestWise is to fill out a fact finder, a statement of your income, assets, and liabilities. The fact finder had some neat tricks. If your employer is in NestWise database, FactFinder can automatically pull in all the funds available in your company's 401k, saving you the chore of entering them manually. The FactFinder goes to a living, breathing financial advisor who crafts an assessment and action plan. My advisor, who worked in Florida, was prompt, courteous, and professional. If I emailed him, I got a reply within 24 hours, and most often within a couple of hours. I finished my FactFinder on Friday, November 30th. On December 3rd, I received two documents from my advisor, a financial plan and an action plan. The 23-page financial plan included information like how much I'd I'd be able to spend per month in retirement if I followed the plan's suggestion and what I'd need to to save each month to fully fund private out-of-state college for my two kids, age 6 and 2. The action plan was a series of steps we would need to take to meet the goals laid out in the financial plan. Here's what it broke down. And I thought this was kind of cool that that he actually went into the actual recommendations. It was we should have an emergency fund. He basically said do the three-month rule of thumb. So it worked out to be about $30,000 for this individual. My wife and I can participate in 401k plans. So the advisor suggested that we each contribute the max, which is $17,500. I should put my fund in six of the available funds, five Vanguard index funds, surprise, surprise, and one actively managed emerging market fund. My wife's 401k has good choices. Apparently, my wife's doesn't. But she does have the option of a self-director 401k, which would open her up, up her options. She should sign up for that self-direct adoption um, and have more fund recommendations. We can contribute up to $5,500 each annually to an IRA. My advisor suggested we do that, too, after first determining if we could and provided fund recommendations. The old 401ks from my previous employer should be rolled over into an, to an IRA, something we'd been meaning to do anyway. A fairly simple equation on, that accounts for our children's ages, compound interest, and inflation gave us the amount we should save for in their 529 plans. 
I have a million dollar life insurance policy, but they suggested I should get more, at least another million dollars. My wife should get some life insurance as well, and at least a million dollar policy. We should get long-term disability insurance. My wife should get a will. I already have one. And we both should get living wills and powers of attorney, which we do, did online through sites like LegalZoom for $69. So basically, in my mind, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking, hey, this guy sounds a lot like me, he pretty much gave you his financial plan. He just walked yeah. through the bullet I mean, and right these there. are all basics. I mean, this is stuff. And, and if you're wondering, I will tell you, we get a number of calls from people who don't qualify. This is kind of the stuff we go through. It's, it's the things I always tell them. I don't want you to get off this phone call without at least knowing you got the basics down. Because this is this is financial planning 101. That's right. Basic, basic boot camp type stuff that you want to make sure. If you're looking at the financial planning pyramid, that you have the base secure, which is risk management. Do you have good insurance coverage? Do you have life insurance? Do you have wills so that your kids don't go to the wrong people? I mean, do you, have you started some type of savings plan with an emergency reserves being the the, the first thing that you're trying to fund. These are all basic things that you start off with. And then he continues. He says, and that's pretty much that. Would the Park Avenue planners have provided a plan that was terribly different? I don't think so. And more important, I don't think I'd want them to. Well, the thing is, see, we just would give that away. Right. I, I would give away pretty much any of that advice mm-hmm. um, you know, that, w- that was provided there just from a phone call. I think right. I could do that what was provided there in about a 30 to 45-minute phone call. Right. Every one of these items would have been touched. What I got from NestWise is a very straightforward, low-cost plan, both in terms of the cost to get and the recommendations it makes. It avoids risky strategies like picking individual stocks, but also recognizes that we have a fairly long-term horizon and we're ready to weather some ups and downs in the market. For some people, a firm like this one I visit on Park Avenue may be ideal. The planners there can help you figure out estate planning, trust, and tax strategies. And if you have those kind of issues, then $5,000 is probably not a big deal to you. But spending five large on advice is a lot of money to me. It was probably also overkill. I learned something working at that personal finance magazine. Financial advice is partially sold on the myth that we're all like snowflakes, that each of us is unique, and we require um, financial plans that account for that particular contours of our financial position. I'm not that special. I'm part of a two-earner household with two young kids, no credit card debt, a mortgage, and a habit of spending too much on restaurants from time to time. If you know my income, my assets, and my liabilities, it's not too hard to plot out a sensible financial plan for me. Park Avenue was going to charge me 20 times what NestWise did. Was their advice really going to be 20 times better? Probably not. So, if your life details are common, what are you paying for? You're paying for coaches and cheerleaders. It's the same reason people join health clubs. After all, if you want to lose lose weight and get fit, it's simple. Eat better and exercise more, but not everyone can do that on their own. They need to pay a gym or a trainer for motivation, or hire Bo. That's my own little editorial. What NestWise has done is retain all the things we seek from a financial planner, judgment, guidance, and enthusiasm, and jettison the rest to drive down costs. There's no Park Avenue lease to pay, no crown moldings to dust. It's another case of the Internet replacing in-person brick-and-mortar businesses. And who's to say the price stops at $250? What if for $149 or $99, I had access to a sophisticated program that made the same recommendations I got from a human? Would I even know the difference? This is the personal finance version of the Turing test. 
whatever that not is. Not super familiar with that. that is. Yeah. Obviously, there will always be people who want a human on the job. But, but some of us may not need that. The Internet continues to give consumers tools that, that used to be restricted to professionals. Think about all the ways you can research mutual, fund, mutual funds online or find the best credit card or home loan. Online services like Nestwise may not provide as much of the hand-holding as traditional advisors, but many of us may not need it. It's not like other industries haven't already gone through this evolution. Think I'm wrong? Ask a travel agent. So, that's the article. I appreciate you guys being patient. Now you're probably wondering, Brian, what are your thoughts? First, Bo, what are your thoughts? You know, I thought that you know, I thought it was well said, and I think th- that there are some points that he is exactly right on. Um, you know, what I thought was interesting is he said, you know, he says, and who's to say that the price stops at two fifty? What if for one forty nine or ninety nine you could get this? Uh, what was his name, Sam? Right. Sam, I'll even give you a challenge. If you just listen to the Money Guy show for a year, you will have gotten every piece of that. You know what I mean? So that that it, it is unique for people starting out who have. Just like he said, not super complicated, you know, super complicated financial issues going on. There are resources out there. You can do mutual fund screens. You can go see, should I fund a Roth first? Should I fund my 401k? That kind of stuff is out there. So in that sense, I completely agree with what he's saying. Um, and, and that kind of ties in with the philosophy that you and I have talked about, about when is the right time to call an advisor. We even did a show on it called Knowing When to Go Pro. Yeah, and that's and my short answer. I kind of agreed with a lot of what mm-hmm. this article said. So a lot of you might be surprised. I didn't look at this as more of a competitor. I didn't really even disagree with anything he said. because a I bit think, of a money guy echo. Yeah, it, it was in the fact that, I mean, I think if I've always had the philosophy, just give it away and good things will happen to you because a lot of this stuff is simplified. And, Bo, what you were what you're leading into is that I've always said that, really, do you even need a financial advisor if you have less than $250,000 in assets? And remember in the article where he said, this is what I have. And he went through his 401ks, his savings, and everything, and it all totaled up to about $200,000. I completely agree with the writer. I mean, the author of this is correct. $200,000, you know, you have two kids, you live in a house, you don't have problems with your spending issues. You don't need a financial advisor. I think you the do-it-yourself route works perfectly. And and that's I think that's gonna surprise. I think people are worried or, or thinking I would take a very standoffish approach to this, and I don't I don't at all. I did think that I agreed with the, the author that the fees from that example advisor were very high. Um I mean this is one of the reasons we have minimums, is because there are is a baseline of work that goes into doing more complicated strategies. I can do a phone call with you, like I said, in 30 minutes to 45 minutes and give you every recommendation that was given. There's a number of you guys that are probably, you know, that can attest that, you know, that you've had phone calls with me and I just give it away. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go deeper, if you want to go into analyzing the tax returns, if you want to go into actually pricing out things, figuring out what needs to be going on with your property and casualty insurance, tax strategies, there is a certain baseline of work that's going to go into all that. And and maybe 5000 that's probably not a bad starting point for how much labor is into more complicated strategies. Right. And the way you protect the client so that they're not paying 2.5%, because I think 2.5% is very high, is you set minimums. And that's where the $750,000 minimum comes in for us, because it allows us to kind of make sure that we have people coming to us that 
first of all, are sophisticated enough or have complex enough situations that we can offer value and the fee doesn't take away from the performance of their uh, of their portfolio over the long term. I also thought the article, the, if I was giving it a nitpicking it a little bit, is it oversimplified what can be a very complex situation. The example I gave is TurboTax versus a CPA. Right. I tell people, and I've even said it on the podcast, if you're if you're the type of family where you get a W two and you own a house and you give some money to your church, probably can go buy TurboTax and you'll be perfectly fine. But if you own rental property, if you've got royalty income coming in, if you've got other sources, maybe you own a, you have K-1s from an S corporation or an LLC, then you run into some issues where I have yet to find a situation where you show me somebody who has a complex tax situation that after I look at them doing it yourself versus a professional doing it, I typically can pay for the fee when I used to do tax preparation by finding Things that they just weren't aware of. Right. I mean, it's the same thing in our industry is that with the world getting so complex, I've gotten, I've had kind of a a learning moment over the last really three or four months. I found myself, and I think I shared this, this is not really a New Year's resolution, it's just a realization I've had is that, you know, you get caught up, we had an election year last year, and I think people, I hated how just divisive everything was. And we're probably going to go through that again coming up in March with this whole debt ceiling and so I just tuned out of a lot of the political stuff because I was getting depressed about, you know, it looked like it was the haves versus the have-nots and right. just playing all this rhetoric that was out there. And then I realized everything's going to be okay because, truthfully, the more complicated the world is, the better I'm going to do in life right. because people need us. Yep. I mean, because with the crazy geopolitical situation going on over in the Middle East, with the debt crisis that we have in Europe, the debt crisis, it looks like we're about to have to start having discussions on here in America with the debt ceiling, with the emerging markets coming up in South America as well as in Asia. I mean, there are so many things that are going on that people want to have somebody who's not doing it for the first time. Right. You don't want to have a greenhorn. And that's what you, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you're kind of you're new to some of this. Mm-hmm. You want to, and, it, and you get to a point where you say, "I want to have somebody who's been there, done that, and have them take over um, what I'm doing here." Um, I always tell people, you know, talking about success, we, you know, what we offer to people when they come to us is kind of what to expect once you retire, because the journey is only half the battle. Once you retire, you you, you struggle with different things. Like how to deal with debt. You know, one of the things we, we help retirees to, to, to understand is they're not truly retired or what I consider financially independent until they're completely debt free. So we walk them through how you deal with those debt issues. The other thing that I think you really can't put a value on is the, just the psychological understanding. I, I tell clients all the time when I find out they're six months from retirement, I start preparing them. Mm-hmm. I have many, many discussions with clients explaining to them what are you going to feel like once you retire? Because it is a different experience than anything else you've, you've ever felt. First of all, most people that we have are, are good accumulators. It is, it is psychologically hard to start spending money that you've been saving your whole life for to flip that switch because we're used to being savers. And now to kind of train the brain, it's okay if I spend some of this money that I saved up. The other thing is when the market tanks 15% after you retire, it's going to feel a lot different than it did while you were working because a lot of us have the philosophy when we lose money, hey, I'll just go work harder, maybe a little longer. I'll make that money back. It's okay. But when you're retired, it hits you completely differently because you're realizing, holy cow, 
Am I going to be at Walmart as a greeter in six months if my portfolio doesn't recover? So you need somebody there to kind of guide you through those complicated processes. And I think I think he the 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 author of the article he really did oversimplify. You can tell that he wrote for a financial publication more so than working with people because what he he said in here that I thought was so interesting. He says, "What are you really paying for? You're paying for cheerleaders and coaches." Holy cow. There was certainly we offer more value than just being cheerleaders and coaches. But you're absolutely right. That is a big piece of what we do. You can tell that in 2008 when when it looked like the whole thing was imploding upon itself, this guy probably wasn't meeting with clients because there is some value being able to step in and give someone an unbiased point of view saying, "Look, this is our plan. We established this before this happened. This is what your ultimate goal were and was and this is how we're working to get to that." There is a ton of value in that, and, and I think it's interesting that he said coaches. How good would a football team be if there was no coach? That you, you know what I mean? How right. good you you do kind of need that. That's that's the reason that major organizations have a CEO or you know or, or those type of things. You do need that kind of structure in there. I think when the situation gets a little bit more complicated. Well, I had I can tell you back in two thousand eight. Take November of two thousand eight. I can tell you. We probably had 10 clients call and want to go to cash. Mm-hmm. I was able to talk nine of them into not doing that. We came up with coping strategies. We came up with ways to work through their uncomfort with what was not really going, not necessarily with their portfolio, but just the the, the media was freaking mm-hmm. them out. Just their neighbors were freaking them out. I only had one that that gave in and sold. And I could, I still have the emails that I sent her. Basically showing her statistical research that I had, kn- I had known from going through other downturns, as well as explaining what typically happens within the first month, the first 12 months, and the first three years after you hit the very bottom of a financial down- downturn. And 2008 was definitely a downturn. Um, so that's, that's something that I think is tremendous value. I thought it was, you know, I told you my, my partner Bill had a, a guy in his peer group Who'd written? He says the same thing. It's kind of an echo of what you said, Bo. It said, "Last I checked, coaches got paid very well, and good ones were pretty hard to find. And cheerleaders, very valuable indeed. There will always be people who value nothing and trust no one, who feel comfortable relying only on themselves. In fact, there's a whole show dedicated to them on t- cable TV called Doomsday Preppers. And there will always be people who value the thought and care only that a human being can provide. And that's, I think, that's the people." That, that are looking for that type of value. He goes, as an adept user of a wide variety of do-it-yourself technology, I find there's a huge gap between knowing how to do something and actually doing it. And this gap is ample room for coaches and cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that kind of gets back to the anti, you know, com- competition and competitive nature. But also it's kind of the, I'm that way with the gym. I know how to exercise because Bo's taught me a good foundation of the different movements. But I need somebody to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of leads to, I want to tell you, you know, and I, I, I hate because we're not, I'm not, I do this show not as a marketing thing, but I feel like when I, I kind of tell you why an advisor is better, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel a little icky, but I feel like I need to share because I, I really do believe this stuff. I do feel that once you get large enough in assets, the system's skewed. And it is. It re, I, I truly believe that because as you get larger, meaning as your assets get close to seven figures, you can do institutional funds. Mm-hmm. You can do closed funds because there's a lot of, especially in your small cap arena, um, your alternative strategy arena, those type of fund managers, they don't want to get too big because then they lose their ability to move around within the, the investments. So they will close their doors to new investors, but they will 
keep their doors open to their institutional advisors because they treat the advisor as the client, not the individual. So sometimes when you work with institutional advisors, they can get you into funds that have not been open to the public as much as 14 and 15 years ago. Really incredible stuff. Um, also, there are some issues. I love index funds. I've told you guys, you know, I think in past podcasts, you know, I used to use the Fidelity Forum One Index because it gave you some diversification. It was dirt cheap. I've always bragged about the Fidelity Freedom Funds, the Vanguard Target Retirement Funds. Those are great accumulating. If you're accumulating for, you know, retirement or even saving for your kid's college, it's nice that you can just choose the year and let the funds do it all for you. Set it and forget it. Yeah, I mean, it really is, because it's more about, and you said it, Bo, when we were talking about what's some financial truths we've learned. The saving is so much more powerful than the allocation in the beginning, because you have to get those assets large enough so that compounding interest actually means something. And the problem that with index funds, especially recently, talk about bonds, Bo. I mean, tell them why, why there's going to be a bloodbath in Boston and other financial districts with bonds, especially index funds that do bonds. Yeah, because what's happened is, is is the way the government's been trying to artificially prop up the economy, they've been printing money, printing money, printing money. So essentially what's happened is that bond indices, just because of sheer volume, have become so heavily overweighted with government and treasury securities that essentially there's there's not a whole lot left in there. They don't have healthy yields, and their price has gone up so high that really the only thing that's left to happen is for interest rates to rise and the value of those bonds to decrease. And that's gonna, it's going to be a day of reckoning for these bond index funds that have upwards of 40, 50, some I've seen even 60% in those type of holdings. And that's kind of a dangerous place. You need someone who understands how to navigate that marketplace a little bit better than we're just going to make an equal weighting. We're going to have, you know, Whatever the largest issue out there is, we're going to have 10% of that in our portfolio and then five. It's just, it's not that simple, especially when, because of monetary and fiscal policy, things, things don't act the way the market would have them act. They're being artificially manipulate, manipulated. And index funds, like I said, are great for large cap because I've, all, I've often made the, dis, the, the discussion that information travels so fast with the internet now that it's hard for people to know any more about the 500 biggest companies in the United States than anybody else out there. So I like buying index funds or ETFs for that asset class. But when talking about international, talking about bonds, sometimes, well, a lot of times you're actively managed, you're really good. Go find that 10% that's out there that consistently outperforms their peers. You'll do well. Now to close the show out, the last thing, because there are always exception to the, exceptions to the rule. Um, you got to you, you hire an advisor to plan for the uncertain, and I've already talked about that the world is changing, and that's what you're planning for that type of uncertainty. But there's a new one, and I've got an education over the last two years because there are people do-it-yourselfers that rock. <laughs> we have two clients, and one of them I know will listen to the show, and he will, he'll know we're talking about him. Two clients that are both pilots, very successful people. I don't know if it's pilots because they're quasi-engineer type personalities. Right. They're they're kind of technicians who love doing this stuff. That when I saw their portfolios, when we do the the prospect meeting, we like to do a side by side comparison to show them the good, the bad times, and what they can kind of expect going forward. And I got to tell you, these two portfolios I got from these prospects were top notch. I mean, they really could do this for a living. Um, that's not normally the case. Typically, when we do a, a brand new investment policy meeting for a client, 
Bo and I, no kidding, high five after we see the before and after. And we, because it's kind of the payoff moment. We put in the old portfolio and look at how it's done during the good and bad times. And then we put in, we don't drive it through the rear view mirror. We use only the funds that we actually use and put it in. And then we look at the alpha, we look at the beta, and we look at the best and worst of times and kind of compare it. And there's a lot of high five moments there. It feels really good because we say, wow, we're going to add so much value to this client's portfolio. This more than pays for us. These two guys came to us, and their portfolios were just as good as what we do. And I know you're like, well, did they hire you? And we're like, and the answer is yes, because remember, the last point I'm making is planning for the uncertain. And what I've realized about both of these gentlemen, very smart guys, is that they are getting to the stage in life where they're realizing just like I talk about the psychological benefits, you can't always just look at the analytics. You got to figure out the psychological. That sometimes you start realizing you have a mortality, mm-hmm. that you have a spouse that you love with all your heart, but that you might not, especially if you're the primary financial person. And, and I got to tell you guys, we work with a number of couples. You can't judge it off of sex right. because there's a lot of women who are head of the households financially, and then there's men that are head of the household. But somebody's going to be the dominant financial person in the relationship. And you start thinking about your mortality and realize, holy cow. Who is going to help my spouse navigate this complex world that we live in after I'm gone? So so when we brought this issue to these these two prospects and said, hey, look, you've done a great job, they said it best. They said, yeah, but I won't be here forever, and there's a good chance my wife will outlive me, and I've listened to you guys or I've known you guys, and you think about money the same way I do. So just seeing that your results are like mine make me feel better that if something ever happens to me, I'm going to be in good hands, or she will be in good hands. Right. And that really hit me hard because, I, I mean, I've always taken the responsibility of what we do. I put a lot of weight on the shoulders. I mean, in 2008, I, I can remember with my wife, my poor wife, putting up with me in 2008 and 2009 because it was hard knowing the weight that you carry on your shoulders, that these are people's retirement assets, that you're trying to make the right decisions. And then when you have a prospect tell you, they like how you think about money, and they want you to be the continuing factor for their spouse after they're gone. It's powerful. It is. I mean, and that's a psychological benefit. While that person's living, they're rocking it. They're doing great. So it's not always as simple as what was put out. Now, I completely agree with this article. If you have $150,000, $200,000, what they told you in here, perfect advice. I do think once you get more complicated, once you move past the turbo tax moment, you know, where your life just has more moving parts, or you need continuation of your thought process, because maybe you are that smart, there are people out there that can help you. And that's why, I, you know, I've been hearing for years, I go to conferences, I speak at conferences, I read white papers, and everybody's always guessing or predicting that this everything's going to change. They're right to a degree in the fact that what we talked about initially the furniture is changing, right. the dress is changing, the age is changing, and the way that people come across clients. But in the end, it all comes back to relationships and skill set. And unfortunately, you can't measure financial advisors based upon price points. Right. Because is a quarter of a percent difference in price going to protect make a difference when you're talking about a 2008 or 2009 when the market lost close to 50% during uh, certain periods of time? Mm-hmm. I think not. I think it all goes back to skill set. It's the same thing of what my, my partner's friend said. Some coaches are better than other coaches. 
And you want to hire the best coach you possibly can, I think. It's the same way when I go to doctors. If I'm going to have surgery, I want to go to the best doctor out there because, mm-hmm. you know, you get one shot at having good financial independence in life. Sure would be nice to work with the best. Yep. So I hope that helps. I think you guys hopefully were a little surprised at some of the, the revelations we put in there. Um, we also shared a little bit about our lives and, you know, and the soreness I experienced and the back pain I experienced from this CrossFit. It, you know, I'd love to get your input. If anybody wants to, to leave comments on kind of their experience and their thoughts on this article, feel free. You can write us at Brian, B-R-I-N, at money-guy, or Bo, B-O, at money-guy. Or you can just go straight to the website, money-guy.com. We'll talk to you guys in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.